We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv an unmatched dual threat. Blue wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined by my co-host Nick Villato. Today's show is going to be a little different than the last one. Obviously, on the last one, things got a little heated. Had myself a nice little rant. There might be a time and a place for a coming state of the Giants state of Dave Gettleman, look back on his entire tenure. I'm not ruling any of that out, but we're not there yet. Both Nick and I came away as, believe it or not, a little more optimistic. And again, how much is this saying considering how negative and pessimistic I was on Sunday night, but a little more optimistic about what we saw in the film. It always is important to go back to the game film. It's what we do. We grind it. We watch it. We chart it. We write notes. We compare notes. We prepare for this show. So without further ado, before we get into that, Nick, how are you feeling a few days removed from that epic disaster that was the Giants 49ers? I still think it's a disaster, but I guess I can just take away a couple positives in terms of play calling from Jason Garrett. I thought that execution was a big issue specifically by someone like Andrew Thomas. There was a few throws that Jones left on the field as well that I think could have been maybe put the Giants into a better position. 
and obviously there was the fumble by Ingram. There was a couple plays that might have led to the Giants scoring more points, but in reality, they didn't really have a chance in the game, even if those were executed 100%. Yeah, for me, if you're asking why I'm feeling a little more optimistic, it's all offensive side of the ball. So we'll get into both sides. I'm not feeling any more optimistic about the defense. I think this defense is potentially two years away from competing or a massive, you know, Jerry Reese-like free agent spending spree next year, which I'm now not totally against because I can't stand watching these guys on defense. There's just so many spots where they need to upgrade. But why I'm optimistic watching this is that, yeah, you mentioned the throw Daniel Daniel missed to Ingram, sure. But there were also throws in this game that could have been made if not for some protection breakdowns. One key pressure, Cam Fleming, that that comes to mind, where Jones had you know a turkey hole shot to Slayton that could have changed the game. It would have at worst been a 20-yarder. And, and and it has a chance if he if he ta- if you know if he taps along the sideline, we'll get into these plays specifically to go longer. And then finally later in the game, you talked about this the deep comeback to Slayton. This one could have been a big one, but the pressure that Andrew Thomas gives up right away kills the play. To, uh, if you're asking me optimistic, I am more optimistic because I watch Jones and I watch Garrett and I like what I've seen from them more than what I expected, Nick, on Sunday night. And again, we're not saying they're world beaters. We're not saying things are all gravy and good in Giants Nation. What we're saying is the initial reaction on both those fronts is a little more positive. Now, on the flip side, Andrew Thomas, I am starting to get worried there. It's still third game for a rookie, but when you see guys like Tristan Wirfs and Mekhi Becton and Jedrick Wills performing the way they're performing in their first three games, and I know they haven't matched up against the same guys, but then again, Andrew Thomas' game against the 49ers wasn't really what it was supposed to be without Boson Fordin. I am starting to get a little worried because this was a guy who I didn't love anyway coming out of the draft. I would have never taken him at four. If you know, if you told me there was any tackle to take it for, and I made this clear, by the way, in the pre-draft podcast, we you know, we discussed this, Nick. The only tackle I was willing to take it for was Beckton. He was the only one I saw with Hall of Fame potential upside, all pro, super all pro upside. And otherwise, I'm not taking a tackle at four when there's four in a class. I'm trading back. I'm going to 10. I'm going to 8, 9, 10, 11 range. And I'm taking whichever of the four falls. That's how I'm doing it unless I'm going with the total upside swing of Becton. But, you know, we'll talk more about that. And I want to hear your thoughts watching Thomas in this one. And really, that whole left side of the line to me looks a little further behind than the right side right now for both in the run game and, and in the pass game. So before we go there, Nick, I want to know your overall thoughts on let's, – let's, let's start with this. What, in your opinion, why did the Giants lose this game? Giants lost this game because the 49ers are a much better coached team in terms of timing, rhythm, and execution. It it was apparent on the misdirection, jet sweeps, the plays that the 49ers used on offense to manipulate the Giants' defense. It was so apparent that the details are coached so heavily with that team because Kyle Shanahan will roll an offense out there led by Nick Mullins and that offense will be used on several different plays the similar looks similar pre-snap motions but the end result will always be different and it left giant defenders with their feet in the mud several times where they would have to hesitate and that slight hesitation is just enough in the NFL to let the offense totally exploit you and that's what happened in this game you saw it all throughout the first half It's one of the big reasons why there were so many long drives by the 49ers. Into the second half, it was the same thing. They would show a pre-snap motion, and then they would give just regular run, regular run, and then they would do some kind of counter off that run. Then they would do a G lead, which is a frontside guard. Then they would do backside pullers for uncovered 
whenever the Giants left offensive linemen uncovered, and then they would also bring jet sweeps from the backside receiver around and do nothing with them. And then, three plays later, guess what they do? They hand that ball off to that jet sweep, and the Giants are caught looking. Where's the football? I don't know where the football is. And it was literally just the execution of the offense for the 49ers was so crisp and it was so obvious the Giants did not know where the ball was until it was way too late. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. And because, I mean, I, you know, I said it on the first pod on Sunday night, the 49ers didn't punt a single time that game. And I stand by what I said. If you watch this game, and you don't even need to rewatch on the All-22. If you want to go back right now, click on a box score, go drive by drive. The offense did not lose this game. The offense didn't come close to losing this game. The offense moved the ball a lot in this game. The only times they really got bogged down were by pressures given up by Thomas, one by Fleming that hurt a drive. And for the most part, they moved the ball in this game consistently against the 49ers. I know it's not the A-squad 49ers defense. I know there were injuries, but when you have a defense that doesn't force one punt in a single game, you're not going to win that game ever. And as I look back on this game, my blame goes to the defensive side of the ball. I had plenty of issues there that I wanted to discuss. There were times where I thought, There were two Giants players running into the same zone, leaving an open vacancy, where missed tackles killed them. The Cairo Fackrell play just absolutely destroyed them. And these were two plays that killed them on second and longs. They got their team a few, more than a few times they put the 49ers in second and long situations by having really good run stops and being really disciplined in their run fits on first down. And yet, as the 49ers hit him with, like you said, the the pre-snap motion, the play-action game, the crossers, it seemed like these guys were just in the wrong spots at the wrong time. There was a huge play late in the first half where they gave up a 26-yard completion on a third down to Jarek McKinnon, where the Giants did the same thing they did against the Bears when the Bears threw that touchdown to Mooney with just the three-man rush. When the Giants are dropping eight in zone, it's not working the way other teams are when they're dropping eight in zone. Some teams can afford to do that. They have good communication on the back end. People are dropping into the right spots of the zone. The Giants are not ready there. Like you said, it's coaching details, and I think you hit it nail on the head here. You you watched, if anyone saw the Sunday Night Football broadcast, Packers versus Saints, you saw uh, Chris Collinsworth show how in the second year of that system for Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur, and remember, Matt LaFleur is a Sean McVay disciple, and Shanahan does a very similar thing. They were showing the exact same look on their play-action passes as they were on their runs, and it was exactly the it, to the T. Every lineman was in the same spot. The, the ball placement from Rodgers on the fake versus the actual handoff was in the same spot. That's all timing. That's all practice. That's all rhythm. There's a reason why the Packers' offense has been incredibly more efficient in year two than year one with Matt LaFleur and that could also happen in due time with Jason Garrett and Daniel Jones of course I mean remember this is Jones third system in three years run game's not working right now the blocking is just not what I had hoped it would be and I I guess I was hoping for too much Nick Um, but what I really want to do before I go anywhere further is circle back to a few things on offense that stood out to me that I think are more overarching 30,000 foot view and I want to know your thoughts to me there's still too many times where the following is happening on this Giants offense one Daniel Jones is not either not seeing or not audibling or doesn't have the liberty to change the play, but there are free rushers coming and it's blowing up plays and it's blowing up drives. So I want to get your take on that, but I also want to get your take on what I still see happening too much, which is the Giants running at boxes that are heavier than what they have to block. The first play of the game, this is an example of this. The Giants are going against an eight-man box here, and they don't have eight men to block this play. And of course, the play gets completely blown up. I don't blame that on the blocking. I blame that on either the coaching or 
Jones not having the liberty here uh, to, to, to audible out of this play. I mean, they do, uh, thinking back to the play, I believe it was Board or Tate who was on the inside trying to block this play up, but I'm not considering him a blocker, and even so, that's only seven against eight, but if one of your seven is a wide receiver, I mean, it's just hard to blame these offensive linemen when they're going against the uneven box. You should really never be running into this. If you ask Peyton Manning, if you ask Eli Manning, there's no time at all in their career where they're looking to run at a box that has more men in it to defend the run than more men blocking. So my question for you is why are we still seeing these issues? Is it more so just lack of trust with Jones or is it more so just not having that continuity yet in Garrett's system? I think it is more so about the continuity issue, but with that specific play, as well they they have an opening script this is kind of what they wanted to do and the 49ers also left that a gap wide open for the run which is where it was supposed to be it was a split zone where Caden Smith was coming across and then they had a uh, a backside receiver coming around to fake like a uh, end around or something along those lines and Tate was tasked to block a defensive back but the 49ers just crashed it so well and then Will Hernandez talking about continuity issues and Andrew Thomas they do not block the the three technique to the backside of the run, and he just splits the double team. And I want to say that's more on Andrew Thomas. He needs to get hip to hip with that three technique. Will Hernandez is supposed to kind of initially hit him. Andrew Thomas is supposed to get in position, take over the block. And Will Hernandez is supposed to climb up to the linebacker. That doesn't happen. And then the uh, I want to say two defenders end up splitting on the tackle for, uh, on Wayne Gallman. But that three technique needs to get eliminated there. Nick Gates climbs the linebacker. Golden Tate has to take care of the DB. Does not. And then there's just a tackle for no gain. But so you're saying even with against an, a box that's heavier in personnel than what you're throwing at it as blockers, you can still make this play work? Some of these guys aren't in the box until right before the play, and the play clock's already down. There's no chance to audible, and I never really see Daniel Jones audible that much anyways. So the opening script to Garrett more than likely going to be a run. He's at home. He's against the 49ers. The 49ers seem to anticipate that, and I'm sure they did their film study, studied Garrett's film, and knew that look and thought, hey, they have Caden Smith as the H-back on this play. They're more than likely going to run the football to kind of start their opening drive, so let's crash it hard, and they kind of do. But even if so, I mean, I, I'm never, I'm not condoning running into a heavy box. That's not something you should do. I don't know if Daniel Jones has the liberties to audible. I really hope that he does, but I still want to see the execution from those guys up front to make that block. Ideally, I do not want to see that play run, but it seems like with the context of that play going on, there was no time to check out of it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it, listen, what we're seeing from Jones right now might not be what we're going to see from Jones further into his career with regards to the liberty he has at the line of scrimmage, but at some point, you know, you just want to see the Giants get out of these negative plays, and there, this wasn't the only one. There were there were a few in the passing game that stood out more to me where there was free free rusher that came in and totally disrupted the play and just went unaccounted for, um, and that, you know, might be an issue with the communication with the linemen from Jones or just like you said, Jones isn't seeing it or doesn't have the liberty but I do believe when it comes to the pass protection issue as far as not you know it's very different than like audibling from run to pass it's more on just Jones really I mean like you saw it in the games that Eli Manning was in last year the offensive line protected better for Manning in the, than they did for Jones last year there's no doubt about it because Manning is doing a much better job than Jones and that's fine he's 14 years you know 16 years into his career whatever it was um calling out protections 
telling the linemen where they're going to be and accounting for free blitzers by reading the defense. But that's something that Jones is going to have to get better at because the Giants aren't a team that can really afford, in my opinion, to have these misses, That the, especially with the defense the way it is right now. And I don't see that getting any better. I really don't with the talent that's on this roster at defense right now, at least not this year. I mean, they're going to have better games. There's no doubt about it. They're going to get, get better when they play better together. But this is not going to be some miracle where the defense all becomes a great defense this year, in my opinion, with the personnel. So I do believe that what I'm looking for, Nick, is better execution, better timing, you know, less mistakes on offense because they're closer. They're closer than people realize on offense. That's my takeaway from watching this team now on film for three weeks. They're so much closer than the stat show, than the point show, than people think from watching the games because they have no time on the field. People don't account for how little they're on the field and how few possessions they've really had, but they're so much closer. They're this, they're, there's, they're, they're this close on so many plays. Even at the 310 mark in the third quarter, but the Giants were still well in this ball game. They hadn't had many opportunities on offense, but they could have made the most of it. There was a ball, and there was a play right here that Garrett designed up to beat what the 49ers had been showing on defense, and it was a high-low route, and he had the shot with Slayton in the slot vert, and he was breaking toward the sideline, slot vert out, and it looks for a second like Jones's eyes are pointed there, his hips are definitely pointed there, and this play, at worst, is going to be a 20-yard gain. At best, he catches it around the sideline, because there's no one, he, the, the Giants beat the Niners on this play call. There's no one near him on the sideline. He could potentially turn it up for seven. It's potential, depends on the ball placement, obviously. With, like, perfect ball placement, I think this can be six. With just good ball Ball placement or average ball placement he's so slate and so open this can be a 20-yard gain to jumpstart the drive but what happens Fleming comes up in immediate pressure Jones doesn't have time the time he hits his back foot the pressure is already there boom he's sacked now do I think Jones maybe could have stepped up there's a little bit of puck in front of him but it's not when you watch this play the minute he hits his back foot the pressure is there so I don't blame that on Jones really but this is just an example of you know these plays, there was two with Thomas that stood out, and there was one with Fleming, where the pressures stop the plays from happening, and it's the little things like that where if those three big plays hit, it really is a different ball game. It is, it is, and on that one specific play, it seemed like the 49ers were in quarter, quarter, half, so we'll cover six, and the play design is a three by two, and the design is to the two wide receiver side of the field, which is the boundary. So that's where the half side safety is going to be playing in a cover six defense. And that's exactly what happens. So essentially the flat route and then the seven route, high, low, number 27, the boundary corner. And that's going to stress that safety to cover so much ground to cover the deep route because 27 has to respect the flat as well. And it was a good play design by Jason Garrett. But again, literally Daniel Jones had no time whatsoever. Cameron yeah. Fleming was beat up the arc and he allowed the pass rusher to corner i don't want to say it was carry Hyder on top of him get to jones and then get the sack as well but even on that drive the jason verrett the next play ends up getting a defensive holding and that gives the giants a first down but then of course because the giants can't do a lot on offense they end up on the third and 10 on that same exact drive and that was where jones threw a beautiful pass to cj board and i could have sworn that it was a first down but it was, you know, six inches short, and they go with the QB sneak, and the QB sneak just did not get it. And 
Well, they, let's just say this: that was they didn't even. If you look at uh, the replay of the all twenty-two, they spotted it a full yard yeah, short. Yeah, it's it was, this is one of the worst spots I've seen. I mean, I have never seen this not spotted like uh, with forward progress. The minute that ball hits his hands is where the NFL almost always spots this, but they don't, and they spot it weirdly a full yard back. Not like it, at worst, you can give this six inches. You can say he didn't have possession until about. I would say maybe six inches, like you said at first, uh, in front of the six, fine. If you want to make that ruling, fine, I guess, even though we never see it because we always see where the first ball is touched and the ball is first touched into his hands two yards past the marker, but whatever. They end up spotting it a full yard back, then the Giants take a full clock to get their new personnel in for this play, which I don't like. I wish the Giants would have just rushed. If they want to do that sneak play on fourth and one, I'm totally foregoing for it on fourth and one in this game situation where you need offense, um even though it's your own 30-yard line. I'm for it. I'm fine. Good call, Judge. I support that call. We were talking about him not being aggressive. Now he's being aggressive. But don't sub in the heavy personnel. Don't put every single person at the line of scrimmage besides one receiver who's in motion before the snap and then do the sneak. That gives the defense time to regroup. It gives the defense time to bring in their heavy personnel. And of course they stopped the sneak because there was no threat of anything else. If they had rushed to the line with the same personnel grouping they had on the third and 10 play where he hit board, then they could have gotten that first, I think. I think they would have rushed there. I think the sneak would have worked. I don't think the 49ers would have got their right personnel in to stop that play. And I think the drive continues and it changes the whole game. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to deny that. I think that also probably would have materialized, but I also want to acknowledge that throw. Yeah. Daniel Jones is from the far hash and Jason Barrett was all over CJ board. That ball had to be placed high and outside. And it was, that was a really good throw by Daniel Jones and CJ board. And if they convert there, who knows, they could have mounted a drive. They could have ended up scoring a touchdown. And then the score is going to look a lot better at 23 to 16. That's a one score game right there. Yeah. To- could, could have totally flipped the script, could've. but it, I would have not have had any confidence in that defense to slow down a yeah. Nick Mullins led offense. Yeah. And, Nick Mullins led offense, sure. Give give the credit to where it's due. Kyle Shanahan just totally is just... And it's not just Shanahan. It's every single person buying in. Like you said, the timing, the little intricacies there are just there on that offense. It's just awesome to watch. I mean, that's such a well-coached offense that they did, could sub out Jimmy Garoppolo and put in Mullins, who had one week to practice with the ones, and yet it still looks like that 49ers click, 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 click on offense. But before we continue, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. You've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE, all one word. That's $5 off your order and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE, all one word. Don't forget, that's BLUEWIRE all one word, for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. 
This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch. I don't know about you guys, but I love to pour me some Pepsi and some ice cubes into a glass when I'm watching the New York football Giants take on somebody. And hopefully the Pepsi can be a good luck charm if I do it in the future and the Giants can get a win. That would be lovely. But Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for people like you and me, the ones who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. It's nuts, too, because we're sitting here and we're saying some positive things about the Giants' offense. Probably not a lot of people expected that, but it's night and day watching the Man, 49ers' that. offense and watching the Giants' offense. And like, that, to me, is less talent-based. That it, like On the defense, for me, I think this defense of system can work with different talent. I really do believe that. I, in general, kind of feel like defense is a little bit less coaching than offense has always been a take of mine i think most defensive coordinators run very similar concepts and there's very there's varying there's some people do it differently there's different fronts some people mix up their coverages but there's a lot of the same i feel like on defense and there's not that much different i mean like for example that kc baltimore game what andy Reid came out with against the ravens that was you don't see that on defensive side of the ball i don't think often where you just have this totally Reed had 15 plays designed that night against the Ravens that were just mind-bogglingly awesome. Like, you hadn't seen it from the Chiefs. You maybe saw it last year in a couple games, maybe, but, like, specific plan to attack that defense. But on the flip side, for the offense, I do think the coaching comes in even more so, and I think it's it's timing, too. It's They need reps. They need practice. But I want to go back to something you said about that Daniel Jones throw to C.J. Board. Why am I optimistic? Why are you optimistic, Nick? And we discussed this before in the show. That's how we know we both are. We've, we've compared notes. That wasn't his only really big-time throw in this game. He had the back shoulder ball to Slayton on the offsides that I think was arguably one of the best throws I've ever seen him make. He had another far hash throw. Remember we just talked about the whole shot he missed to Slayton? Didn't miss. The pressure was there on Fleming. Later in the game, he comes back on a third and 19 from the Giants 26, and he hits that same shot to Ratley. Uh, Ratley, who shouldn't even be on this roster, but is. Just like C.J. Board. Guys, that they need to upgrade, but that's another time. Another story for another day. But Ratley's on the field and he hits that whole shot to Ratley for I believe a 26 yard gain on a third and 19 play I mean this is exactly him adjusting but the ball placement here is excellent but he has to have excellent arm talent to throw to the to the outside the hashes he made three or four throws in this game outside the hashes that were excellent and that's what you want to see from the quarterback can he make all the throws yes Daniel Jones can make all the throws where Daniel Jones is going to stand out, if he's going to get better, how he's going to get better, he's going to need the protection in my mind. I really do believe that. He's a quarterback who has the arm talent, in my opinion, to make all these throws. He just has to get better at the processing. And the only way to get better at the processing is he has more comfortable feel in the pocket. And the only way to get a more comfortable feel in the pocket is trust in his line. And right now, he, in my opinion, has no reason to trust his pass production. He just doesn't. That was also a cover six play to the uh, boundary side, actually, it was. And it was him looking off that half safety, that deep half safety in the quarter, quarter half. He looks directly at him, doesn't acknowledge Ratley's route, and then quickly knows exactly what Ratley's doing, obviously. And then he comes off of it and hits uh, hits Ratley deep downfield on that third and 19. So there were times in this game where he used his eyes to manipulate the safeties, to hold them in place, and to hold defenders in place, which is something that you want to see. And it's something that I've actually thought Daniel Jones needs to definitely get better at doing because he has telegraph throws in this game he did it against Chicago a lot of it happens in the quick game and that's kind of the nature of the quick game but on these you know deeper drops where it's deeper progressing routes he's done a solid job actually looking safeties off and giving his receivers 
a better chance against zone coverage to separate from the zone coverage itself, especially because these receivers, let's be honest, I mean, they're not the best with their separation quickness, and that's no. usually uh, a trait that you assign to man coverage, but it also could work, obviously, in zone coverage. Yeah, I mean, we talk a lot about Daniel Jones' lack of protection, but and the lack of running game's obvious, but you have to account for the lack of separation. Last year, next-gen stats, NFL next-gen stats, had the Giants last in the league in separation at wide receiver position. I haven't checked those numbers this year. I will be checking them soon, but something tells me they're not, at least the film tells us, they're not getting separation much there either. Unfortunately, that's another position they're going to have to upgrade in this game, but I do want to touch on, you know, another good play, and that's the fourth and two with Jones drifting 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 showing excellent poise in the pocket good footwork and this remind this play reminded me of his first game ever against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where he hit Sterling Shepard on that on that third I think believe it was a third and long or it was a third and eight and the same kind of thing the pressure was there he's drifting with his footwork in the pocket but a good drift he's moving he's shuffling his feet he's keeping his feet alive and then he's readjusting his platform and then patiently making this throw as Ingram gets into space for this first down on a fourth and two this was an excellent play by Jones in my mind wasn't even just an excellent play it was also great because the 49ers show man coverage in this play right and they bring six men on their pressure package so usually young quarterbacks will just try to look to get rid of the ball really quick but on this play and give credit to Robert Salah he drops Fred Warner off the line of scrimmage into a middle hook zone to rob the mesh concept. At least that's what it looked like, and the Giants run the mesh concept where C.J. Board kind of picks and rubs the defender off Evan Ingram in man coverage, but Fred Warner's there to totally bait Daniel Jones into throwing this ball. Daniel Jones sees that, waits, flows away from the pressure, is patient, allows Evan Ingram to clear Fred Warner's zone, and then hits Evan Ingram in between the two zones and before the safety can come down and really just nail Evan Ingram. That was a really good play by Daniel Jones. Yep. He, again, I watched this game, and I know there were some Giants uh, beat guys who were saying he looked shaky. This was one of the worst games he played. I, I just didn't get that feeling from watching the tape. The tape, to me, did not show that. I had issues with a lot of players. Andrew Thomas, who actually had a decent block on this play, um, just because we're rewatching it now as we're telling you about it. But I had my problems with a lot of the offense here. The receivers didn't do a good job creating separation. Uh, and Jones, to me, the bigger issue for me here with Jones in this game was was just the plays where he didn't account for the, for the unblocked players. I mean, there was a key missed opportunity I think it was on this drive or later uh, in the game, a third and nine from the San Fran 28, uh, sorry, from the San Fran 29 with 816 remaining. And Tate breaks open here out into space, but the play is just completely dead because there's an unaccounted blocker, uh, I'm sorry, an unaccounted blitzer from San Fran that Jones just simply doesn't call out before the play or whatnot. But, you know, if, if, if Jones gets this ball out quicker or if, it, it, no, it's tough to. I'm not going to blame Jones for not getting this ball quicker. Now that we're rewatching the play, and I have this in my notes as well, he doesn't have time. By the time Tate makes his break, the pressure's already there by this unaccounted blitzer. But if Jones shuffles the protection or finds a way to pick up for this blitzer, moves Deion Lewis to, to from the left side to the right side so he can pick up this guy, something. I don't know what it would be. But this is a first down, and it keep and it changes the whole really complex of the game because the Giants ended up kicking a field goal there. But that could have been a key key moment where they get into the red zone and potentially score a touchdown. That's another six man pressure, and it, it was really difficult. It was a really unique pressure. Yeah. There were a, there was a stunt to the slide side, and even though the offensive line slid one way, the blitzer still squeaked through. And Will Hernandez and Nick Gates ended up blocking one, one guy, guy, and yep. they, and. It's honestly, it's hard to sit there and just criticize them for it. Typically, you need your offensive line to call out that pressure. And I'm not even sure if uh, 
Daniel Jones is given, you know, the full responsibility to set that protection or if it does lie with Nick Gates and some some of the uh, the offensive line to pick up these blitzers coming through the line of scrimmage. I mean, Deion Lewis did his job and picked up another blitzer, so it's not like he could have been in to pick up that guy yeah, as well. Yeah, no, you're right. So it's a little difficult, but you're right, man. Daniel Jones does a good job evading the pressure and getting out of the pocket, but by that point, Play's dead, the yeah. play is dead. Yep. So it's it's you got to kind of tip your cap to a team that it's just seemed much more prepared, much uh, better at executing their assignments, and that's the 49ers, and that's why they represented the NFC in the Super Bowl. And another part of Daniel Jones, just before we leave Daniel Jones, that we haven't even mentioned, and I love the fact that Garrett's doing this, and I know it kind of puts him in harm's way, is using his athletic ability and using him on these zone reads and using him on these power runs to the outside because you have to force defenses to respect Daniel Jones' athletic ability when you do not have a rushing attack, man. You can't (laughs) run the damn football. Force these defenses to respect Daniel Jones, and that will allow coverages to be just a little bit more lax on the back end and will also give these receivers a bit more space to run their routes and possibly get open. Excellent point. And you have a quarterback like Daniel Jones. I'm not saying he's Josh Allen, but you know what? He's big. He's fast. He's athletic. On one of the runs, the one that got called back, or I think it was like a double penalty where it was offsetting, he was awesome in space on that run. I, I had a really good time watching that run because it was the cut he made to the outside that really looked super athletic. And then a defender tries to take him down and he gives him the stiff arm at the end, stays on his feet, stays upright. This was like a really nice jump cut by Jones to get to the outside there. And again, he's not Josh Allen, but he's big. He's athletic. He's agile. Remember, three his three cone was off the charts for quarterbacks, and he's pretty good straight line speed as well. Use him as a weapon. You know, if you have this kind of quarterback, don't be afraid to run these plays with him. You don't have to. You know, injuries are part of the game, but you know what? It doesn't matter. This is part of what they need to have in their arsenal. If you have a Daniel Jones at prospect, um, again, this is not Patrick Mahomes. We know that much. So you got to use everything he has. I feel like. Do you agree with that? One hundred percent. And on those plays, they were zone read type plays yes. where. The defense believed that Devonta Freeman or whoever was on the field was taking the ball to the left side, and then Daniel Jones would just keep it. The end man on the line of scrimmage would crash to try to take out the running back, and Daniel Jones would be out in space with Caden Smith, who was usually an H-back on the strong side of the play, kind of looping around as a lead blocker. And then Darius Slayton or another receiver would be out in front of him blocking the cornerback, and then they would usually try to take the play side tackle, at least for Daniel Jones on the run, out into space as well. So it was just a really good way to kind of design uh, an advantageous rushing attack for the Giants. Yeah, And I really hope Jason Garrett kind of implements this a little bit more into the offense, kind of uses RPOs and gives this team and ability to actually sustain drives and move the football because it's not something that the Giants have been able to do consistently whatsoever this season. No. And listen, Daniel Jones took what? I think it was 90... It was high 90% of his snaps at Duke in the shotgun. They did a lot of RPO there. They did zone read. When I watch this Giants team on film, when I look at that 16-game sample size we have of Jones... Good things tend to happen when he's in the gun, and I hope the Giants continue to work in the zone read game like you talk about. I hope they start to work in the RPOs that he was really hyper-efficient with last year. He was hyper-efficient in this area last year. Shermer knew it. Shermer worked it in, and it goes along the lines of what Garrett wants to do in the quick game, knowing how bad his fast production is. So we'll see if that evolves, but that's something that we hope to see. I want to highlight one play and then get your overall concern level on a specific player. So I'll start with the play, uh, and this was not the only play that 
concern me. But um, this was after the second and eight rip by Daniel Jones. Just an absolute perfect ball. Again, one of the best throws I've seen to make the 23-yard back shoulder completion to Slayton. They had a real another chance for a really big play after this. It was first and 10 on the San Francisco 30, 8-19. Now we're going all the way back right now into earlier in the game. So second quarter... 819 for those of you following along at the San Francisco San Francisco 30 after Jones had just hit that 23-yard back shoulder on the offsides of Slayton. This is a chance for them to keep the momentum going. This is the key to the Giants' offense and the key to why I think they kind of struggled to win this game and stay competitive in this game because every time they took that step forward, they had to take a step backwards. And on this play, it's another good play call by Garrett, especially after that. He designs another shot here, a big max protection play where he takes a deep from under center uh, play action, uh, pa- a play action pass where Slayton's running a deep comeback, and Slayton gets separation. He gets the separation necessary for Jones to hit this throw. Everything's blocked up well to the point where when Gallman's executing his play, Gates's guy is getting a little pressure, but not much, not nearly enough. Jones could clearly have the pocket he needs. There's just one person who messes this play up completely with a really bad pass block, and that's Andrew Thomas, and it totally ruins the play. Jones doesn't even have a chance to hit his back foot. It, remember, it's a deep play action drop and it requires just and they're using basically a max protection here they have one two three four five six seven eight guys if you're counting gallman in protection here against one two three four five six seven 49ers pass rushers really when you're going eight in protection against seven pass rushers you should really be able to win this route. And we saw this against the Bears earlier when they came out at halftime and hit that kind of deep into Slayton off a, off a deep play action drop like this. The Giants have had a lot of success from under center on these deep play action drops, and this one would have been another. Slayton has the separation here, and Jones is going to hit him. Jones' ball placement doesn't miss in these spots. Um, but Thomas had a really bad allowed pressure here, um, and he, he just looks really completely out of position. His footwork's bad there. I want to know your concern level overall with Thomas. This is obviously isn't the only play. He had the overset earlier where he got beat on the inside move. Where are you at right now from a from a concern level standpoint with Thomas? And then you could also break down your, you know, interpretation of this play if you would like. There were there were consistency concerns with Thomas coming out. I don't think he's a total liability. He's not Eric Flowers. He's not oh, this is the end of the world, but I think Dave Gettleman drafted him because he was a, a safer option in terms of Mackay Becton. You know, he never really took a lot of pass sets at Louisville. How is he going to be? Uh, Tristan Wirfs, he's athletic, but he had a lot of technical issues. I thought Thomas, you know, he's long. He could play both sides. I don't think he's going to be this all-time Pro Bowl kind of player, but I think he's going to be a solid player. And he's taking his lumps right now, and that's going to happen with rookies. He needs to get better with his technique. He needs to do a better job lowering his center of gravity, using his hands a lot better because his hand placement is incredibly sloppy on that one play that you were just referring to. His hands are really low. He allows Eric Armstead to get inside of his chest and then basically hump move him off him. And Thomas doesn't really sink his hips. He doesn't really do anything to kind of keep himself anchored and in front of Eric Armstead. He allows Eric Armstead to attack the half man inside and then use his outside arm to just club Andrew Thomas back inside and then just work himself, Eric Armstead that is, back outside to Thomas's outside shoulder. Thomas never has his equilibrium about him. He's just very kind of sloppy with his technique, his ability to frame blocks on this specific rep. He's not like that all the time. There's plenty of good reps as well, but there mm-hmm. are also plenty of bad reps. There's this also this one in the fourth quarter, second and 10, 2.57 left. And Andrew Thomas has to vertical set against a wide rusher. The rusher's wide, so he vertical sets. That means it's 
a uh, it's not a jump set. It's not a 90 degree set. It's going to be basically he's going to take his outside foot and he's just going to step backwards. And it's in order to cut off these wide angled rushers. It's in order to get to the top of the arc to prevent a pass rusher from kind of being able to beat you to that spot. Now he gets there, but his hands are incredibly wide and he always allows, it seems like at least in these situations, the defender to make initial contact. And when the defender makes initial contact with his inside arm on the inside shoulder pad of Andrew Thomas, Andrew Thomas lunges at the hips. And that's not something you want to do because it kind of brings your momentum forward. And as he lunges at the hips, he tries to use, Andrew Thomas that is, his outside arm to make contact on number 96. But number 96 uses a violent swap to just chop Andrew Thomas's outside arm downward violently. And that brings the rest of your momentum, since you're already leaning, forward. And it totally kind of disallows you from executing your block. And that's exactly what happens. So 96 wins the half man. He dips and he rips right around the corner of the corner, as, as in the pass rushing arc. And he starts to corner, gets his hips flipped, pointed right towards Daniel Jones. And then he just gets the sack on Daniel Jones from the backside. Andrew Thomas needs to be more balanced in these situations. He needs to be quicker with his hands. He needs to be better with his framing of the blocks. He needs to not allow the defense to dictate the rep and not allow the defense to get to the half man and then use a violent chop-rip combination. It needs to be much more... He needs to be much better, I guess, with his reactionary quickness, his technique, and his balance overall in these situations. Yeah, and I mean, I wish we could tell you these are the only reps like this, but there's the rep, the first possession of the of the the Giants' first possession of the third quarter, where he just oversets completely um, and gets beat on the inside move. This inside move has been killing. We haven't even talked about it on either of these two plays, but the inside move is killing him. And this play was totally derailed by that quick pressure. Jones tries to get rid of the Jones evades it on this play. Does a really good job because because Thomas is beat almost immediately, and the entire timing of the play is thrown off. On that play, it's a little bit difficult for Andrew Thomas because credit to the 49ers and Robert Salah, which I feel like we're doing a lot of that. They line up a defensive end wide of Andrew Thomas, so he has to jump set this player on this specific play. He doesn't vertical set on this one, but he does jump set him because he can't vertical set because he's not going to have any inside help because Will Hernandez and Nick Gates are going to have to double team that to eye tech that's kind of occupying Will Hernandez. So he jump sets him, but he, in doing so, he still gives up a huge inside rushing angle. And he just doesn't have the foot quickness or he just didn't do it on this specific play to kind of adapt to the inside move. Once the pass rusher kind of jolts inside, Andrew Thomas' feet get kind of narrow and then he just tries to wash the pass rusher down back into Will Hernandez, who's pretty far away from him on that specific play. But he can't the pass rusher ends up winning the rep and getting Daniel Jones to step up and throws the whole timing off and again yeah. incompletion of Darius Slayton all right next so then tell me level of concern right now one to ten scale what are you where are you at with Thomas level of concern I think he's had a murderous row of pass rushers to kind of go up against I'm gonna say like a three okay. I'm not overly concerned I'm not I think that other rookie tackles, like specifically Mekhi Becton and Jedrick Wills, have shown a lot more so far than Andrew Thomas. But Andrew Thomas has also shown a lot of good reps in pass protection. He's also shown a lot of good reps in the run game, too. It hasn't been all bad. I don't want to make this a podcast about it being all bad. But there are concerns, concerns that we talked about back in April about Andrew Thomas. And they've kind of been exposed by some of these more talented veteran type of pass rushers. Yeah, for me, I'll probably say five. Um, still not that concerned. Five is not very high, but I was never huge on the kid to begin with. Always my OT four, um, and just 
my only reason I'm at five and not three with you is because of how well those other three have played so far and how well they've adjusted and because I don't really consider the 49ers too much of a murderer's really a deal. I agree the first two matchups weren't great. Um, my other issue is the only reason, other reasons at five is because in my evaluation, I'm curious where you stand on this, not overall because I think overall you'd probably have to move in guys like uh, Gates, but just from a pass protection only standpoint, I actually think that he's been the worst of all the five giants in my mind from what I've seen. He's had the most blown, he's the most, at least from the standpoint of the most plays have been blown up because of his missed blocks um, over a collective three games. I know he was pretty good in the first game. I didn't see it a lot there, but the past two games, it's been more apparent. And I think I believe in both games, it was more than from what I charted of Flem, all, all four of those guys, Fleming, Zeitler, who by the way, has been playing much better. I love what I've been seeing from Zeitler lately after a really shaky first start, um, Hernandez and, and Gates. So I don't know where you're at there. I would probably say that's a fair assessment. He also probably has... I mean, I think all the jobs are hard, but he probably also has a toughest job. And the Giants seem to trust him out on the island, which is something that you want to see. You want to see that kind of trust. And on a lot of these plays, they are only five-man protection where the tight ends don't go out. And we've seen Jason Garrett be hesitant to do that, especially against the Bears. He wanted to keep six men, even seven men in for protection, which is something that you kind of have to do with Cam Fleming and a young Andrew Thomas sometimes when these pass rushers can pin their ears back and go. But that entire left side of that offensive line, I've had issues with, from Gates Mm -hmm. to Thomas, with Will Hernandez, too. Will Hernandez, I was talking to somebody on Twitter about Will Hernandez, and after watching the All-22, I didn't come away too enthusiastic about his play. I did not. And I actually, on a Big Blue View, I put together a a piece, an article, about you took the Giants and the Jets roster, currently constructed, and you combined them what team what would the team look like so i assembled 60 guys from that team i didn't have will hernandez as a starter wow i put alex lewis over him because a little bit of offensive tape i've seen from the jets alex lewis seems like he's doing a little bit better than will hernandez and i also had mckay beckton as a starting left tackle over andrew thomas i had andrew thomas on the right side but it all ended well guys because we had more giants in the, <laughs> than the jets <laughs> you gotta hope at this point but that that doesn't neither of those two things surprise me i mean we, we spoke the other night about hernandez i'm I don't know. I, I need more out of him right now in year three. And then as far as Thomas or Becton, I was higher on Becton again with the only issue with Becton was going to be he, he was going to either be a fall flat right on his face kind of guy right away. Like, oh, crap, this guy doesn't have what it takes. And like he was just a total project. But like the fact that he's transitioned so well, so quickly, Becton, it is like it's I think it's skyrockets. Now. I think it's takeoff time for him. And he's going to be like quickly evolve into one of the better tackles in the NFL. I could be wrong on that. But I, again, with Becton, for me, it's more of a just, he might be too athletic, too big, too long to beat. But again, we're not ruling out Hernandez, uh, I'm sorry, not Hernandez. We're not ruling out uh, Thomas yet. I, I just got the two mixed up for a second in my brain. I just want to see more. And again, my concern level is only a five. That's it. But let's, it's time, Nick. We've spent a lot of time on the offense, rightfully so, because if this team's going to get better this year, starting this week, hopefully, because there's still only, what, one game back in the NFC East? There's still somehow a chance that they, they are this disgusting 7-9 and nine winner. Do not rule it out. It's still possible. But if they're going to get better, it's going to be in the offensive side of the ball, in my opinion, because I want to flip it to the defense, which we haven't spent much time on on this podcast. Here's my overall take is the defense. This defense is not, obviously not up to speed with what Graham wants to do yet. That's fine. It's week three. I get it. It's a new system. But for me, they're just so overmatched talent-wise. you got guys like Ev, and it was more apparent ever 
now when without Jabril Peppers on the field. I know a lot of people don't think Peppers is that good. A lot of critics. My dad, Ron Schneier, shout out. He is the <laughs> biggest Jabril Peppers critic. He's still talking about that misfill that he had in Week One, where he didn't fill the where he didn't fill the the run lane, and it led to that huge run play by uh, Snell or either Connor or Snell. I'm pretty sure it was Snell. But listen. When he's out of the game, you notice the difference. And when you got guys like Ebner running around and Devontae Downs then has to play more, which is an absolute disaster. I mean, the talent isn't there, I don't think, Nick, but I saw so many bad things. I saw missed tackles. I saw guys running into the same exact zone. I saw them trying that three-man pressure again that just doesn't work because the Giants, when they drop eight, it's unfortunately not like when other teams drop eight. There's miscommunications. Guys are somehow leaving zones open with eight in coverage. I just don't know where to go on this defense. I don't know if I see a path toward improvement that's the scary part and you still despite all this there were still some sick reps by Leonard Williams who I thought had a good game Dalvin Tomlinson who I thought had a good game and it's just like it doesn't it almost doesn't matter and Blake Martinez had a couple really good plays in there and it's like these guys and the same with Bradbury of course but like does it matter when the rest of the guys are as bad as they are I I don't know where to go from here do you see Talk about the defense with me, Nick. Where do you see – how can they get better there? Also, Lorenzo Carter and Julian Love had a couple nice yeah. plays as well. But I, I see there's a couple chinks in the armor, man. And when you have issues, when you have liabilities on your defense, they could be exploited. It's the same thing we've been saying for the last couple weeks. When you put Nate Ebner out there, when you put Devontae Downs out there, when you put Isaac Yadam out there, they're going to be targeted. And the continuity of the defense is not going to hold up. And we saw adjustments in this game. The first two plays by the 49ers were outside runs. And the Giants were doing their bare front kind of thing. Like we've talked about, I'll just call it tight because the one it's not really a typically a bare front. It's more of a bare eagle kind of mix. But they were able to adjust and they would run 4-3. They, they were able, they were doing their 3-3-5, they came out in 4-3, they would put O'Shane Zimenez down with his hand in the dirt and kind of favor him with a, it would be like a 5 technique and a 3 technique or like a 4 technique and a 3 technique, they would kind of vary it to the strength of the 49ers to kind of protect from strong side runs, but it just didn't really matter all that much. The defense itself, from pre-snap to post-snap, there was always like a hesitation on where the hell is the ball going. We don't know who has the football. Is it Jarek McKinnon? Is it Brendan Ayuk on an end around? Is it Jeff freaking Wilson when he's in the game? And those are going to be issues. And again, with this specific offense, this offense is full of a bunch of backups right now. I've never seen backups execute their assignments so damn high like they did in this game. It's crazy. It's like these backups have been practicing with the first team all year, and they haven't been. And and it scares me, Nick, because I know McVay runs a similar type of offense where they're going to be on point. The timing is going to be great. They're going to show one thing in the run game, and then they're going to show the exact same thing, but it's going to be a play action. I am so nervous about the Giants' defense against the Rams. I'm hoping the offense can kind of carry the load there. We'll have to see what happens there um, in that matchup. But, but yeah, I just I, I wish I saw a path. I mean, they're, they're doing some really positive things on first downs, especially in the run game, and it looks great. And then you have to see them, you watch them give up these second and 13s, these second and 16s week after week after week, and it's really tough. It's tough to watch, and it just feels like the guys don't aren't dropping into the right spots. The missed tackles this week, I mean, there was only one egregious one, the Fackrell play, but it was a big one, and there just seems to be a lot of miscommunication on the defense, and... I mean, there was a play where 
who's that backup tight end that they're using out there? Ross Dwelly. Dwelly, because Reed got hurt, where he released late from the left side of the formation across, and you saw, I, it was one of the linebackers, it might have been 51, it might have been Fackrell. No, it was Devontae Downs. It was Devontae Downs. Just, just turn his head around and completely run backwards, but the pressure was there. Mullins was getting slammed on that play. If he just doesn't do a thing, if literally Devontae Downs stands there like a statue, there's nothing that the that Mullins can do, and he's either taking the sack and eating the play or potentially throwing right at Downs because Downs is literally occupying the space that, that Pulley, what's his name, not Pulley, uh, Dwelly. Dwelly is running into. But Devontae Downs turns his head around and just runs backwards at 100 miles per hour and <laughs> it just jumps the ball off to Dwelly, and then he runs another 12 yards on the second, I think believe it was second and 12 or second and 13, first down whole drive continues you get them in a third and long there that, that changes everything the 49ers went on to score on that drive so you know it's it's tough I, I i don't know what to say about this defense right now it's not good and that was a second and 11 and the giants were in a cover two it was a four three kind of front and the 49ers ran a play action so the linebackers get sucked up blake martinez realized it's a play action just by reading the his run keys and he starts bailing downs it took a little bit and then what i thought he was doing initially was kind of staying in to see what kyle Uzcheck was doing kyle Uzcheck stayed in for pass protection but it seemed like right when nick mullins turned his shoulders and still had the football he just bailed and he just had no sense of the backside receiver it's like they don't necessarily have the especially him Devonta downs have this spatial awareness to really execute zone coverage and I know he had to bail because his part of the zone, because it was a second and 11, was wide open because he got fooled by that play action. But to have no sense that there's a backside receiver coming on that shallow cross, it, it's really, it's a really bad look. It is mind-boggling. You're right. Spatial awareness. That's the perfect way to, 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 to really describe this. And that's the issue with some of these second-level guys and now third-level guys now that they're forced to put in Nate Ebner. Um, and obviously, you know, we didn't want Yadam in there. He got benched towards the end of the game, which could be a plus because you, you said you saw some decent stuff from Ryan Lewis. I did, but uh, I want to say today, I'm not sure if it was Judd. I think it was Jerome Anderson came out and he said that they're going to roll with Isaac Yadam as a starter. But don't be surprised if Robert Woods at Cooper Cup score on a horizontal cross in man coverage yeah. and Yadam's benched. And Ryan, I, I Just from a little bit, Ryan Lewis played, I think, 18 snaps. It wasn't all that much. And he I don't even really think he was targeted all that much. He had like one nice tackle. And the item, give him his credit where he's due. He's pretty good in run support. I'll yeah, give him oh that. yeah, he's pretty physical in run. Really nice play yes. in run support. But in coverage, he's definitely a liability. And I would not be surprised if you see a lot of Ryan Lewis next week, and the item ends up riding pine. And it's interesting. Just think about this from a thirty thousand foot view with the item, right? The Giants literally, tr- after not having an entire offseason, no rookie minicamp, no OTAs, no mandatory minicamp, no preseason, training camp. They traded for him towards the end of training camp, right before the regular season, and said, okay, hey, hey, you, come into our system. You have to learn. A, you have, you're going to be right on the field in a system you hadn't been practicing in. You don't have any preseason games to try to get any experience in. Good luck. And why should we be surprised that it hasn't really worked out yet with the item and the Giants? But, you know, Nick, I, I'm hoping for the best here with this defense, and I see some glimmer of light with that D-line and their early down ability to stop the run, and Blake Martinez and Bradbury, but they're just still so many pieces away. It really, it, it, it stinks that McKinney's not on the field. I think McKinney could have really made a difference on this defense. I was just thinking about that, and that was going to be my next point. I really yeah. do think Xavier McKinney would make a pretty big difference, and sadly, I, I look at Darnay Holmes in the slot. I saw him have a couple 
uh, mistakes early mm-hmm. on in the game. I'm not sure if it was the 49ers' first drive or their second drive. It was like a third down, and the 49ers motioned to a bunch formation, and he didn't take his receiver. He thought he had Jabril Peppers' guy, and Pe- and there was no reason in my mind for him to think that because he had the inside leverage on the inside most receiver, but the receiver releases inside, and he just didn't go with them. And then that's when we saw, I want to say it might have been Ross Dwell, no, Trent Taylor it was. Trent Taylor wide open for an easy catch, and he was just behind. He, he, these these guys on the back end need to know their assignments. That's some James Betcher's kind of stuff. This defense is supposed to be much more simplified. Right. And when you use pre-snap motion, just like the 49ers do, and we know Sean McVay is going to do that a ton, you need to know your assignments when those motions happen and it seems like these young guys have not really been aware and Darnay Holmes specifically he's made mistakes in a couple of these games little mistakes here and there give up a little gain there but those kind of things will lead to big blow-ups and I don't think Holmes has any sort of mental processing uh like negatives like DeAndre Baker did like DeAndre Baker you know falling asleep in meetings all that Darnay Holmes is not like that I just think it was kind of like a lapse I guess you could say I don't think that he's a liability in terms of his mental processing whatsoever. I never got that indication, but he just needs to kind of make sure that these these players need to make sure that they know their assignments going in to every play, even if the pre-snap motion mixes up where they're going. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, Nick, anything else you want to touch on? Offense, defense, formation, anything that comes to your mind from the film? I, I did like, like I said, that Patrick Graham tried to adjust a little bit, and he also had to, I think. I'm not sure how much the Jabril Peppers injury affected the fact that he had to roll out different kinds of formations and fronts. I mean, we saw 3-4, we saw 4-3, we saw 1-4-6, we saw 2-3-6, we saw 4-2-5, we saw a lot. And one thing's for certain, at least for me, and I'm sure I could probably speak for you too, is we saw way too much Devontae down. <laughs> he played 55 snaps. And I don't want to sit here and just make this a Devontae Downs negative kind of podcast, but there's no reason for you're, – you're not going to have success. Have you, like, I, I haven't really seen many great plays from him. There were a couple where he was getting blocked out of the play, but he was able to kind of hold up just enough to box the running back back inside towards his teammates, which is enough for me to be like, okay, you executed your assignment, you had contained, and you didn't allow yourself to get blown off the line of scrimmage. But on some of these plays, too, I wanted to ask you this. Devontae Downs is like an edge rusher. They would have like a 3-3-5 and three linebackers. It would be like Lorenzo Carter uh, to the strength, Devontae Downs on the weak side, and then Blake Martinez in the middle. And I'm just wondering, do the Giants not have another player who could execute that? And I know it's not like he's rushing the passer from right. that alignment, but just even aligning him there, yeah. I feel like gives the offense an advantage. I'm wondering when they're going to make the the, the leap here and say let's try out cam brown let's how could cam brown possibly be worse in this spot how how take crowder i don't care put anyone on the field they just drafted 72 linebackers and still found the need to cut uh ryan Connolly. so all right let's give it a shot i don't know what they're seeing with downs i'm not quite sure to me he's been just absolutely disastrous i can't imagine that patrick graham is watching this tape and being like there's a lot to work with here. There's a reason he's on the field for 55 snaps. I just can't understand it. But I think the page needs to be turned, Nick. I think we'll see 
a process of elimination better by you know what's the what's the what's the phrase they they'll get addition by subtraction by putting freaking cam brown on the field i want to see it they're already trotting out nate Eppners of the world and darnay holmes is a rookie they're making him play a million snaps let's see it at this point they have nothing to lose i i'm just out on downs so am i and he's only played 80 snaps on the season he played 55 of them yeah. in week three so i do think that might be a byproduct of jabril peppers getting injured yeah. and them having to kind of get creative on the fly at least that's what i'm hoping i'm hoping that they're not going into a game plan being like you know what we're gonna play Devontae downs the majority of snaps no. against the best running team in the nfl I and hope it makes that's total sense too what you just said nick because it's probably like they have to use somebody when something like that happens an unforeseen injury to a major player on your defense who is playing off basically 100 percent of the snaps what you basically have to do is bring in somebody who has a good familiarity with defense i'm sure cam brown and Tate crowder they weren't really prepared to step into big roles in this game same thing with ebner i mean ebner played we talk about ebner he's on the field for only 15 snaps so it wasn't anything crazy there so i think maybe with a week to game plan we can see something different i'll be intrigued if i get to see number 47 or number 48 on the field and that's cam brown and Tate crowder respectively i really will be i'm not gonna lie though 47 to 48 that that's ugly ugly yeah, linebacker those aren't great too. linebacker numbers Ugh. they should be wearing something in the 50s but at the same time anything will make will be a better sight on my eyes than than seeing freaking what's it 52 out there Devonte down I, i'm so done on downs and you said you don't want to make this a trash downs pot i don't care trash <laughs> downs trash them all you want i'm done with the guy don't even understand why he's on the team i still don't understand why he's in the, on this roster over ryan Connolly. but get him off the field let's move forward and as for just uh, defensive players, I know we touched on it a little bit before that I thought executed a lot of their assignments to a high level. Mm-hmm. I think Blake Martinez, there's the one rep going around Twitter of him getting blown up on that backside screen uh, to Jarek McKinnon. It's not a good look, but Blake Martinez had a solid game. I'm not going to sit here and take away a lot to knock on Blake Martinez. I thought Julian Love played relatively well. Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, specifically Dalvin Tomlinson, I felt like played really well. And I'm, I'm glad that I see more Logan Ryan. He played 77 snaps, and I think that is necessary. He had one lapse in coverage, and I'm not sure if it was even his fault. I couldn't really tell by the uh, route run, and I'm not sure on that specific play if they wanted Isaac Yadam to drop deep with that receiver, but 49ers being 49ers, they kept somebody just standing at the line of scrimmage, and Yadam had to respect that in zone coverage as well, so he kind of gets high load, but that might have been like a negative mark on Logan Ryan, but he's a player that you watch the film and you say, okay, that's a good football player. Yeah. And he was great in run support as well. He's he's a tough player. He's good for them. And definitely a kudos to one of the players you mentioned. Leonard Williams' sack was freaking awesome. That talk about a guy who wasn't really converting into sacks last year, but he did an excellent job of that. And just one more thing that's interesting that I thought you wanted to point out about the personnel. Yeah, no, Corey Ballantyne played two snaps in this game. Yeah, He played two snaps. Wow. So that, that bodes w- uh, well for Ryan Lewis, uh, for sure. And uh, another thing about... Uh, these corners. I know James Bradbury is a cornerback that typically plays on the left side, but he's been following a lot. So I'm interested to see if he follows Robert Woods in this uh, upcoming matchup. (laughs) That's going to do well for Cooper Cup in fantasy, though. (laughs) No doubt about that. All right, Nick, anything else or you want to close this bad boy out? Nah, I think we're straight, man. All right, hopefully you guys enjoyed this one. This is the All-22 breakdown of the New York Giants game against San Francisco 49ers. We will be having another Giants game this fun Sunday. Hopefully it's better than the last. It's the, it's the Los Angeles Rams. I almost called them the St. Louis Rams. They're still in my head, the St. Louis Rams. Anyway, if you guys do want to support the show, guys and girls, please do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Please leave us a five-star review. Don't be that jerk who somehow has a problem with us. And if you are that jerk, 
and I am calling you a jerk, then don't go and rate and review the podcast. Just leave me alone. We're just trying to do this for the fans, for the people, for us, for everyone bleeding blue nation who just wants to see better football. It's coming. I promise the offense is closer than you think. The 22 film, all 22 film has told us that. And I will stand by that. And I know Nick will as well. Until then, we'll speak to you later. Have a great rest of your week and go Giants. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team and player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.